Welcome to Redeemer's Church Weekly Message Podcast, where our mission is simple. We are a church that is passionate about loving God and loving people. And now, we hope you enjoyed this week's message by Pastor Caleb Schaefer. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. Now, Pastor Dwight, if I get a hole in one, are you expecting a tithe off of that? Or? I'm expecting half. Okay. I... <laughs> I just, you know, just needed some clarification real quick. Oh, Lord. Man, worship is so good. Hey, uh, yes, so uh, we called this summer reading. How many of you uh, hated getting out of school and that teacher that would be like, hey, you need to read for the summer? To which, if you ever did that, you are so much better than me. Because once I got that assignment, I was like, nope, I am not reading. But that's what we're going to do for the month of June. We are going to hopefully tackle one chapter of the book of Colossians for every week through the month of June. And so I'm excited to to get into this uh, series. So join me as we pray. Jesus, you are magnified this morning. You are why we're here. We've gathered around you. We thank you for your word. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would draw us closer as we read your word this morning. Father, we thank you that you said if you would be lifted up, you would draw all men to yourself. And so, God, every soul in the room, every soul watching, we pray they would be drawn to you today as you are magnified in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, I know this sounds like a ridiculous question, but I don't want to make an assumption. Has anyone ever been to Easton Town Center? Anybody? Okay. Anybody not been to Easton Town Center? Anybody? Just chance? Okay, awesome. Well, so we, we've all been there before. Easton Town Center, when I was in high school and early college, was the place. It was the place to go on the weekend, and uh, that was where my friends and I would often go uh, on the weekend. And, uh, of course, when I'm in high school and early college, I'm broke, so we're window shopping. We're not buying anything. And I don't know if you've known this. I haven't been to Easton in a long time, but now they got like Gucci and Versace. And I'm like, so I would still be window shopping if I went. (laughs) Nothing's changed for me. But when we would go, we'd window shop because we're broke. Uh, I was this broke. Uh, One time I came and met Pastor Dwight at the office. He gave me $5 for a four for four at Wendy's. I held it back, got in my car and cried. That's how broke I was that the $5 blessing to get a four for four at Wendy's was sufficient enough for me. And so I was broke, so I wasn't shopping at uh, Easton, but we would go there to hang out. It was the place, right? Uh, And so we'd go there and we'd window shop. We'd go to GameStop. Anybody remember the Fossil store, the Fossil watch store, Uh, that if you had a lot of arm hair, it was torture, right? Just constantly plucking arm hair. But you're like, I got to be fashionable, so I'll just grin and bear it, right? So the Fossil Store, we would go to GameWorks. Anybody go to GameWorks? Okay, GameWorks was that, that store close to the theater, and uh, we would go in there, and, you know, there was the Funny Bone, I think, where you could go and see comedy, which I never went to because I was poor. Um, I, I will tell you where I did shop if I went to Easton, which was Aeropostale, which was the poor man's American Eagle. That's where you went. But here's the thing about Aeropostale. Let's talk about this. Their sizes were always way off. It was like everything was short and wide. (laughs) And I'm like, I don't know how this works, but like you wash it one time and it's not symmetrical anymore. It's just like just diagonally straight. It was so contorted and weird. But uh, 
but we mainly went there to go see movies. And because uh, we just love to go see movies there. And so I'd go see a movie, and I'll never forget this one time. We uh, left, and it was super late. It was after midnight, probably 1 o'clock in the morning. We saw a late showing of some movie, and my friends and I are uh, with me. And uh, we pull on to 270, go two, uh, east on 270, and 270 is a ghost town at like 1.30 in the morning. There was nobody on the road. So I had this great idea. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to take advantage of the fact that I'm the only one on 270, and I'm just going to enjoy every lane. And so I'm not like yanking the wheel, but I'm just like gently just going from one side to the other, just drifting along, having a great time. My friends are like, bro, you're so stupid, blah, blah, blah. Where I'm like, ain't nobody out here. We're having a great time. Until... In my rearview mirror, I just saw some bright lights. I get pulled over. And uh, one of the first questions that was asked was, have you been drinking tonight? I don't know why you would think that. <laughs> of course, I wasn't drinking, but uh, it looked like I was drinking. And so he pulled me over, asked for my identifications, license, everything like that. Long story short. Uh, he basically lets me off with a warning, and his comment, one of his last comments was something along the lines of, stop drifting, just stay in one lane. Just stay in one lane. This is why the book of Colossians was written. The book of Colossians was Paul writing to the Colossian Christians to encourage the Christians to avoid drifting. Just stay in one lane. The Christians in Colossae had gotten saved. They're on the right spiritual track. They're in the right spiritual lane. They're heading in the right direction, running a great race of faith. They are focused on Jesus, fixed on Jesus. Jesus is the destination. He is the goal, the thing that they gather around, the center of it all. But then, per usual... A group of false teachers come into the church there and begin to try to convince the Colossian Christians that they don't have to stay in one lane. They can enjoy multiple lanes at one time. They can just drift back and forth. It's like, go ahead, you know, let's, let's add some sauce and some seasoning to Jesus. It's going to make it better if you do that. And so they drift from spiritual lane to spiritual lane and they are telling them that it's not really going to cost their, their faith anything. Matter of fact, it's going to enhance their spiritual life. And they're pushing this idea that there is more for your life beyond just focusing on Jesus. It's, there are deeper things than Jesus. There's more for you than Jesus. And so in Paul's words in Galatians 5, 7, and 8, it rings equally true in the, the context of Colossians. Paul said this in Galatians. He said, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion did not come from him who calls you. This is what he's, this same thing could be applied to those teachers that are coming into the Colossian church. And so I, I just want to say, before we even get into Colossians 1, I have to put, I put, I have to put a lot of backdrop and background into what is being talked about for you to fully understand why Paul is doing what he's doing through the book. If, is that okay? Okay, if you said no, I'd still do it. So I'm just, I'm trying to, you know, let's make this a team game here. The book of Colossians was written to the church in Colossae around uh, 60 AD. This is one of Paul's prison epistles. So he is in prison in Rome. 
And uh, so while he's in prison in Rome, he writes uh, Colossians, he writes Philippians, he writes Ephesians, and he writes uh, Philemon. So these are four books that he wrote at the time. Colossae is a city in uh, Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. It's approximately 10 miles uh, or 100 miles inland from Ephesus. So Ephesus is on the coast. It's 100 miles inland from Ephesus. And um, <clears throat> it was a cluster of, it was one of a cluster of three cities. Those cities were Colossae, Laodicea. How many of you know what Laodicea was? In Revelations, I believe, three. And another city called Hierapolis. They were all kind of clustered together. And uh, Laodicea, as you know, if you've read Revelation, it's the lukewarm city. The lukewarm city. Fascinating fact, I'll just add this. This is a tidbit. I love just this stuff. Because God, when God speaks prophetically to you, he speaks within the context of your understanding. Which is why when people listen to it, they may not know why you weep when you weep. Because they don't know the context. He's so specific. And so when Jesus tells an angel, when John has a vision, tells uh, this angel to say what he says to John, and John's to write it down and then send a letter to Laodicea, the thing in that letter is, I wish you were either hot or cold, but because you are lukewarm, I will spit you out of my mouth. Interesting fact about Laodicea. Laodicea was known for hot springs, but it was also known for cold water that would come out of the mountains around Laodicea and come into the, the city, and it would create lukewarm water. So when the angel says this, he's saying, you are just like your water. Your spiritual temperature is the same as your water temperature. That's amazing context. Now, Colossae, Laodicea, Hierapolis, all of these would have kind of considered, be considered, even though they were separate towns, they would have considered, be considered to be as part of the same collection of cities. Okay, so they're closely linked together. Colossae is so, uh, so close to Laodicea that in Colossians 4.16, Paul actually says, when you receive this Colossian letter, after you read it to the church, go to Laodicea, give it to them, and they have a letter for you to read. A lot of theologians believe that that letter that Laodicea would give to the church in Colossae was the book of Ephesians, because the book of Ephesians would have been circulated throughout all of Asia Minor. Colossae is a small church, but it is a rapidly growing church. Paul never actually went there, never visited Colossae. He wanted to go, but he never went. The church in Colossae initially met at Philemon's house. So when you're reading the book of Philemon, keep that in mind, that this is speaking to the Colossian church, okay? So it's at Philemon's house. Colossian church was started by one of Paul's converts. His name is Epaphras. You'll see him come up in the book in Colossians 1.7 and 4.12. Many uh, scholars believe that Epaphras converted to Christianity while hearing Paul preach in Ephesus, and then he stayed for about two Epaphras stayed and actually attended the uh, school that Paul preached on called the School of Tyrannus. So he takes what Paul is discipling in, him in, he goes back to Colossae, and he starts a church. Isn't that amazing? Let's talk about this. Isn't that amazing how much you can do with so little? 
Like, that was the organic reaction to hearing Paul preach. I take this, go home, share it with people, and I start a church. I don't hear, gather, let it sit, and I do nothing with it. Epaphras was like, this is so good, i got to go home, tell people. And then they're like, hey, can we hear this again? And organically, they're like, well, my house is not big enough. Let's uh, impose ourselves in Philemon. And he's like, I guess you can meet here. And then they start a church. And it becomes the church in Colossae. And so here's Epaphras. Epaphras now is that pastor. And Epaphras is concerned because you have all of these false teachers coming in. So he visits Paul in Rome and says, I've got a problem. It's too big for me. I don't know how to handle it. What do I do with this? And Paul's like, I know exactly what to do. This is my, this is my forte. And so he pens the letter we know as the book of Colossians to send back to bring correction. Three major false teachings that he is confronting in this book. The first, which was not an unknown one, was Jewish legalism. Jewish legalism. Now, Colossae was a Gentile town. There was probably not a lot of Jews there, but there were enough Jews that would say, if Jesus is the Messiah of the Jews and you believe in this Jesus, well, then you still have to follow all of the Mosaic law as well. You can't just like leave that alone. You, you need to do that too. And so they were imposing on these Gentile Christians uh, the, that they needed to follow all of the laws of Moses. They all needed to be circumcised. Um, ouch. Well, that's not funny. That's, that would hurt. Uh, I see in another letter that uh, Paul actually uh, had Timothy circumcised as an adult. Okay? Uh, so... Uh, they were saying, no, 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 no. In order for you to truly be saved by this Messiah, you need to follow all of the Mosaic law. You need, to, you need to celebrate every festival in the Old Testament, and you need to, um, you need to be circumcised. Um, so basically, the essence of Jewish legalism is, watch this, Jesus plus Judaism and keeping the law of Moses. Another way of this is Jesus plus the book of Leviticus. That sounds horrible. How many of you have ever read the book of Leviticus all the way through? How many of you, that was a New Year's resolution? <laughs> Let me just get it over with real quick. Jesus plus the book of Leviticus. Another false teaching that was being addressed was something called Gnostic mysticism. Gnostic mysticism. Greek philosophy. Uh, the word gnosis uh, comes from the Greek word for knowledge. And they were teaching a lot of different things. Not every Gnostic mystic taught the same thing everywhere, but there were some very common things that were being taught. The first was that everything in the spiritual world was good, but anything in the material world was evil. Now, we know that that's not true. Not everything spiritual is good. Demonic possession is not good. So not everything in the spirit realm is good for you, but also not everything in the material realm is absolutely evil, okay? And this is why it caused such confusion and controversy in the church. Because of this, God could not have created the world because the material world was evil. I, I, 
this, God's not, God didn't create this because this is evil. He couldn't have done that. So this was basically denying the book of Genesis that God created and said this was good. Okay. The other thing about this, which is, is, is even worse, is that Jesus could not be God because God would never enter into an evil world, nor would he become a human being because human beings are evil. So this is attacking the deity of Jesus as God's son. They also proposed um, the worship of angels. Their explanation for Jesus was that Jesus was not actually God in flesh, but God like dropped deity on him temporarily for a period of time to perform miracles. And before he died, the deity left him and he died just as a human being. So this refutes the crucifixion. This refutes why he died, the forgiveness of sin through Jesus. And these are things that are being leaking into the church. Uh, the other thing, I said it before, they promoted the worship of angels. They promoted a belief that salvation is not from Jesus' death because he died as a human being. And, but here's the thing. The salvation is not through Jesus. The salvation is through the discovery of secret spiritual knowledge. That Jesus was the beginning of spiritual knowledge, but he was only the beginning. You needed more than the revelation of Jesus. There's something deeper, more significant, more secret, uh, mysteries of knowledge, wisdom, wisdom, and understanding about Jesus and about life itself that you need to know. We have it, and you need to follow our teachings in order for you to get it. By the way, this caused, caused such a division because what it was saying, it, the Gnostics would also say, you may, even though you follow our teachings, you may never get this revelation. Right. So it was basically... Gnostic mysticism, even you can adhere it to it, but ultimately you may not get the full revelation and secret, uh, spiritual secrets, and I'm sorry if you don't get it, but we do. You see how this is creating a more I'm better than you, spiritual superiority, hierarchy. This was what they were coming in and they were teaching. By the way, this is where the Da Vinci Code came from. So if you think Gnostic mysticism was something ancient, it was resurrected in the Da Vinci Code. And you know that caused confusion for people that say they're Christians but don't read the Bible. Did Jesus have, did he really have a relationship with Mary and have a child? That was what the Da Vinci Code was about. This is another, there are Gnostic Gospels. Do you know that? There are all of, there are literally books that they say that Thomas wrote and other people in that time wrote. And, uh, and you need to read those because they reveal other things about Jesus that the Bible doesn't read. And you're not getting the full scope of who Jesus is until you read those. Uh, thank God for what we call the canon. The canon was wow, we got these books. They said there's not enough in those Gnostic Gospels to consistently show that Jesus is who he says he is. So we're leaving that stuff out because it's not consistent. So this is what they are saying. And so their, their thing is Jesus plus deeper spiritual wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. 
And the last one is religious asceticism, which is Jesus plus self-punishment, self-hatred, and self-denial. What it, what it was uh, preaching was you have to prove your devotion to Jesus through severe self-discipline, denying yourself of certain acceptable pleasures and joys in life. As a result, if you do that, God's going to love you more. He's going to like you more. He's going to approve of you more. You're going to be closer to God. By the way, I see this one kind of infiltrating church life today where people deny themselves of things that rightfully, scripturally, you're supposed to have, but they do it out of devotion to Jesus, just intensely devoted to Jesus. And they're trying to prove their spiritual sincerity and maturity by what they deny themselves of. And it becomes very religious. Jesus plus self-punishment, self-hatred, and self-denial. And so this is the backdrop of the book. But it is these things that Paul writes what he writes in Colossians chapter 1 to confront. And this is the amazing thing about the book of Colossians is that Paul unleashes one of the strongest counterattacks defending the person of Jesus that's ever been written in the New Testament. It is, matter of fact, many of the theologians say this, Colossians is the most Jesus-focused book in all of Paul's letters. Everything in the book is about Jesus. J.B. Lightfoot, a 19th century theologian, said the doctrine of the person of Christ is stated in greater precision and fullness in the book of Colossians than in any other of Paul's epistles because of the threat against the deity of Jesus that was in the church of Colossae. So with that being said, we have our foundation. Let's look at the book. Can I get an amen? amen. I'm sorry if that was just too much, but you need to know. So Paul says, Paul starts out this way. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are at Colossae. I'm reading out the New American Standard uh, at Colossae. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father. We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints. So once again, he's never been there, but he has heard of them. May our reputation in devotion to Jesus precede, precede us. He says, I've heard of your faith. Epaphras has come and reported that. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel. I love that. The word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, just as in all the world also, it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing. It is still constantly bearing fruit and increasing today. Everywhere it, there are people, the gospel is still being spread and it is constantly increasing and bearing fruit. I just saw a, uh, a thing on Facebook of Muslim women in Iran getting baptized. How amazing is that? And they had to conceal their identity, but you could see them all in their, their, their wardrobe, their, 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 their makeup. You could see it, but they're being baptized, constantly increasing and bearing fruit all over the world. Even as it has been doing in you 
also since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth. Now, this is somewhere I just want to make a note. False teaching does not invade a place where false teaching already exists. False teaching follows fruit. You don't spread false teaching that is, has a foundation on lies already. That is, that is actually, um, uh, that is pointless. But you know the interesting nat- thing naturally about fruit? Fruit over time eventually attracts what? Flies. That's what was happening in Colossae. There's fruit, and so you can only in a matter of time expect false teaching. Because false teaching, like flies, follows fruit. So this is why you start to see these people invading the church at Colossae. Just as you learned it, verse 7, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow bondservant. There he is, the guy who founded the church, who is a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf. And he also informed us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, now watch this, because this is where that foundation of understanding why Paul wrote what he wrote, you're going to see Paul use choice words in attacking Gnosticism, spiritual legalism, and religious asceticism. Watch this. He says, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge, not just any knowledge, not Gnostic knowledge, but the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. He's confronting Gnosticism here. What he's saying is all spiritual wisdom, all understanding, all knowledge, it's not the knowledge you need to know unless it's pointing you to his will and who Jesus is. That's what he's saying. This is my prayer, that you differentiate. This is the whole point. Gnostic revelation never led them closer to Jesus. All it did was cause them to switch lanes and drift further away from the lane they were originally in. That's the whole point. And so he's saying, no, 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 no. If they are espousing a wisdom, understanding, revelation, knowledge that you need to know, if it's not leading you closer to Jesus and his will for your life, that's not the knowledge you need to have. My prayer is that you will discern that and know. Now, here's the goal of all spiritual wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. The goal of spiritual wisdom and understanding is not spiritual intelligence and spiritual superiority. It's so that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will for your life, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please Him in all respects. Why are we gathering and reading this book every week It's not so that we receive spiritual knowledge, wisdom, revelation, and understanding, and we can go and we can just bang people over the head with how much we know and how smart we are spiritually. It's so that you and I walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. That's it. It's not so that we can puff ourselves up. I am so spiritually deep. This is what happens, though. By the way, this is what happens when you receive knowledge, wisdom, and understanding, but you never apply it. It has to go somewhere. 
it can't get in you and you sit on it long term. Eventually, it's going to be rearranged and it's going to flow out of you as you are so spiritually intelligent and smart. Didn't Paul in Corinthians say that knowledge puffs up? so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects. Once again, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Is it okay if we go line by line? That's not really popular anymore. Can we go line by line? Do you even know what that means? It means reading every scripture and then just stopping for a moment. I'm talking about it, line by line. To please him in all respects. See, spiritual knowledge that is learned but not applied in your life can easily become a place of pride and arrogance that is projected out in your relationships to show how spiritually deep, intelligent, and superior you are. And that's what the Gnostics were doing. The Gnostics were promoting this spiritual secret knowledge, wisdom, and understanding as something that only a select few could get. But if you discover it, it would make you spiritually superior to other people. So we go back to verse 11. Strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience joyously, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. If you've read all of Paul's letters, you know that at the beginning there's always personal remarks and personal prayer, and then he gets into the meat. We're about to get into the meat right now. So he transitions after verse 12 into verse 13, and this part is where he shifts from personal remarks to his incredible defense of the sufficiency and the supremacy of Jesus above Jewish legalism, Gnosticism, and religious asceticism. In other words, my Bible titles this section, The Incomparable Christ. For he, God, rescued us from the domain of darkness. Hallelujah and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Do you know that God loved his son so much, he transferred his entire kingdom into his hands? In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. How many of you are thankful that Jesus not only died for your past sin, your present sin, but every other sin that you will make until you lay your life to rest? It covered all of it. He, Jesus, verse 15, my God, this is so good, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. The word image is exact representation. Do you remember when, uh, do you, do you remember when uh, Jesus was having a conversation about a man that was struggling to pay his tax to Caesar, and he said, whose image is on that coin? That, that, that image on the coin was an exact representation of Caesar. And so Jesus, the guy said, it's Caesar. And then he said, to give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. The same thing is made here. Jesus is the exact representation, exact, perfect representation of who God is. God stamped Jesus with his exact image. Remember John 14, Jesus said, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father. There's nothing, in other words, there is nothing else to know about God the Father except for what you learn through Jesus the Son. The exact representation. Verse 16, for by him, this is Jesus, all things were created 
both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible. He is the source of all of it. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. This is another attack on Gnosticism because Gnosticism said that there are spiritual truths that you need to know about that you cannot discover outside of the personal Je- person of Jesus. And Paul defends Jesus by saying he is the one who created both the visible and the, invi- the vi- invisible, the spiritual and the immaterial. He's the source. So if the knowledge and everything that they are espousing is not pointing it to him, it's not true. He's he's the source. For by him all things were created, both in heavens and on earth, visible and visible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created. Here are the two existential questions for every human being. They're answered right here. For by him all things have been created through him and for him. Who are you and I? We are people created by Jesus Christ because all things were created through him. Why are we here? We are here because Jesus created us to know him and for himself. Why do I exist? What am I here for? Both are found in Jesus. We were created by Jesus for Jesus. So our value is inherent in the fact that you were born. It's inherent in that which means that no job, no accomplishment, nothing else can match the value that you have by the very fact that you are allowed to exist. Do you know that every single person in this room could not choose to exist? You are allowed to exist, and it wasn't necessarily your parents because you could have been anybody coming out of that womb. You got to get this. You were allowed to exist. Because inside of you, God planted seeds of his DNA that would come out when you receive the gospel and manifest themselves so that you can walk in the destiny that God designed for you before you were ever born. You were allowed to exist. I was allowed to exist. Why am I me and not somebody else? Because I was allowed to exist. Your value is uniquely connected to the fact that you were allowed to come into this world. Your personality, your your makeup, everything about you was because God allowed it to happen. It wasn't just science. It was significantly spiritual. Verse 17, he is before all things, and in him all things are held together. Wow. 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 So when the world is going to, in a handbasket, fill in the blank, let's play hangman. The very fact that it's still held together is because of him. He is before all things. If you could go back into time wherever you would want to go, Jesus would step out of eternity and meet you there. John 8 said, Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. Before all things. Jesus is the only person to have ever lived before he was born. He is before all things. To be alive, fully alive before he was ever born in this world. All things by him are held together. 
uh, I've said this before, uh, outer space is terrifying to me. Absolutely terrifying. The reason why it's so terrifying to me is because uh, the absence of gravity, you have no control because I'm a control freak. That freaks me out. But also the vastness of it. I want you to consider the vastness. Number one, in our galaxy alone, there are 500 of our solar systems. 500 of our solar systems in this one galaxy. NASA, according to their calculations, says there are over 100 billion Milky Way-like galaxies in the universe. And I one day was contemplating as I watched the sun go to sleep, how in the world do solar systems not collide? How do galaxies not converge? How have, what about this terrifying thought? What's beyond the universe? Is the universe falling and we don't know it? And if it's falling, what is it falling into? I don't know the answers, but the reason why galaxies don't converge and solar systems don't run into each other is not science, is because he holds it all together. And Hebrews talks about it. Listen to Hebrews 1, verses 1 through 3. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. Jesus is not struggling to keep the universe together. He spoke it into existence, and the speaking is still sustaining the universe. My God, we think that our problems are so big. And he said, I spoke a word, and it is still working on sustaining the universe. David said he hung the universe on a matrix. He spoke in existence, nothing is too big for God. And he said, you hang there and you stay there. Why does the sun continue to get up? Because God said through his son Jesus who created the world, you're going to rise on the east and set in the west every single day for the rest of your existence and you will never rebel. You will do it because I said it. This is, this is what Paul is getting at. By the way, the universe is not the only thing that is held together. You are held together by him. Amen. On a scientific, biological, molecular level. I, didn't, I wasn't even going to go here, but I'm going to go here. I want you to write this down. Write down laminin. Write it down. L-A-M-I-N-I-N. Write it down and look it up. Laminin is the glue. It is a protein molecule that is the glue which holds your body together. Why don't you have kidneys and organs just falling out of place? Why does your skin stay on? It's because of laminin. It's a protein molecule. It is the glue of the human body. And do you know what the symbol, do you know what the shape and structure of that protein molecule is? It's the shape of a cross. Is that coincidence? No! Because you are held together by Him. 
verse 18 goes on to say, He is also the head of the body, the church. He is, he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. If Redeemer's Church ever makes something else other than Jesus the main reason for our gathering, you need to go find another church. We will never exalt something else to the same level of sufficiency, supremacy, and glory that God alone, Jesus alone has. Never! You don't last 57 years if you exalt something else. Because Jesus will not promise to continue to build that. He will only build the church that he's the head of. He said he's the firstborn of all creation in verse 15. By the way, uh, cults, uh, Mormons, and Jehovah's Witness, will, well, they'll argue. They'll say, well, you know, he was just one of God's sons. He's, he's just the firstborn. There's other of God's sons. No, 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 no. You don't understand that. What it's not about, it's not about the order. It's actually about the rank. That's literally what the Greek word is. It is first in rank and importance. It's not about, all. Oh, there's others. They're all on the same level plane. It's like, no. Firstborn, he is first in rank and importance. There is nothing else in this world that is more important in rank than Jesus. That's it. Verse 19. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness of who he is to dwell in him. Man, let me just unpack this for a moment. God put all of himself into the person of Jesus that all would know who God is through that person. Mankind does not have to look anywhere else outside of the person of Jesus to know the full explanation of who God is. God chose to display everything you need to know about who he is through his son, which means, and this is where it's important, we don't look to the Old Testament to understand who God is. We look to Jesus to understand who God is. Now, I want to say that because people are like, oh, well, where are you going? Here's the problem. People who don't ever read the Bible will look at the things that God commanded the Israelites to do in the Old Testament and be like, I don't, I don't believe in that type of God. I don't believe. I mean, why would he, if, if he's a good God, why would all this happen? You have to understand something. People make an argument as to why they don't believe in Jesus because of the way, of the way that God worked in the Old Testament. But what they fail to understand is this. Covenants determine how God interacts with humanity. God restricts his nature to the covenant he enacts with human beings. He can do it all. But he will not violate the covenant he makes with humanity by deviating in his display of his personality and his decisions. He, he, he contains himself to the covenant. This is so important to understand. God limits his interaction with humanity to the arrangement of the covenant that he made. But when Jesus came, a new covenant was enacted, thereby changing the way in which God interacts with humanity. And this covenant is not a new covenant. It is the final covenant. This is one of the reasons why Paul said in verse 19, for it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him. Listen to me. Even the Father could not wait to express himself differently to humanity through his son Jesus. He was waiting. Galatians says, when the time was right, he allowed a son. He was sitting back just on the edge of heaven, could not wait for his son to come because he knew that if they look to the Old Testament, they are just getting half of who I am, but they will get the full scope and scale of who I am when my son comes, the exact representation of who I am. We don't read the Old Testament and then we say, this is what Jesus is because of the Old Testament. We read the Old Testament looking through the filter of Jesus. Right. Amen. 
And through Jesus, he reconciled all things to himself, having made peace through the blood on his cross. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven, and although you were former alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. And this is the point. If indeed you continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast and not moved away. That's what the Gnostics and that's what the Jewish legalism and the religious asceticism was. It was causing them to drift away. So Paul's pointing them back to the fact that the way in which you first uh, received Jesus, that foundation, that is the thing that will sustain your faith for the rest of your life. You don't need to drift away from that. If indeed you hold on to the hope that was promised in the gospel you heard from Epaphras, that is what sustains your salvation. If you indeed you continue in the faith firmly and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, was made a minister. What was Paul saying? The message of Jesus that you put your faith in. If I could have Amy and the team come up. The message of Jesus that you put your faith in is enough. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. So he is to be the beginning of the focus of your faith, the focus of the middle of your faith, and the focus of the end of your faith. He does not need anything added to him. Jesus is enough. Amen. That's what he was saying. You don't need to add stuff to Jesus. You don't graduate from the amazingness of who Jesus is into something deeper. By the way, as a charismatic church, I love our culture. I love the Holy Spirit. But do you know that Jesus said, I got to go because something greater will come that will fill you so that you fall more in love with me. The Holy Spirit and Jesus are not in competition with each other. Jesus said, I got to go because he's going to come. The same spirit in me will fill you and you will fall more and more in love with me. Let us not love the spiritual emotionalism that happens to coincide with the Holy Spirit to the point that we walk away from an encounter with the Holy Spirit and we say, man, that felt so good. You are missing the point. I hope that when you weep, you are weeping because it was so good, but because you have fallen so much in love with Jesus that you're like, my God, I love him so much. That was my initial encounter with the Holy Spirit. I got blasted. I wept all night long. And it wasn't because of the emotion. It was because I was overwhelmed by who Jesus was and his love. Every move of the Spirit is to point you to Jesus. Anything you add to your faith, you will be disappointed in heaven. Because Jesus is the middle of it. Jesus is the point of heaven. It's all about him. And for eternity, we will fall to our knees in adoration of how amazing He is. He is the goal of it all. The Holy Spirit will roll out the red carpet for the Savior of the world. He is the focus. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh... I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, and filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions of this church. I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. And once again, he hits the Gnostics where it hurts. He said, that is the mystery. 
which has been hidden from past ages and generations, but now has been manifested to his saints, once again confronting Gnosticism. The mystery of Jesus, which is the supreme mystery of the world, is not for a select few. It is for available to everyone to know. That is the mystery which has been hidden from past ages to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That closes it. There's no other mystery you need to know. It is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Does the message of the gospel ever change? Does the gospel need to be enhanced as time goes on to be more relevant? Is there anything spiritually deeper than Jesus? The answer is emphatically no. It's all him. Listen to message translation of, of Colossians. I'm sorry. No, I'm not. Breaking a sweat up here. The message translation, Paul says, we preach Christ, warning people not to add to the message. We teach in a spirit of profound common sense so that we can bring each person to maturity. To me, be mature is to be basic. Christ, no more, no less. That's what I'm working so hard at day after day, year after year, doing my best with the energy God so generously gives to me. Why was all of this other stuff that the false teachers were bringing in so difficult? It's because it was a burden that caused confusion and just complicated the simplicity of the gospel. This is what human beings do. We just make stuff difficult and complicate it. And it causes confusion. It's just Jesus. What's the answer? Jesus. That's it. What did that mean? Go to him and figure it out. It's all him. It's not some additional thing we need to add. Paul says in verse 28, we proclaim him. Admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete and mature in Christ. How do you mature, grow, and develop in your Christian walk? You focus on Jesus. He is the one that makes you mature. He's the one that grows and develops you. Hebrews 12, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, for consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Colossians 1.29, the last verse, it is for this purpose. What's the purpose? Proclaiming him that I labor striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. What is the point of Colossians 1? Jesus is the point. Jesus is everything. The Colossian church needed to know that nothing needed to be added to, Je to knowing Jesus. And so do we. And Paul said this in another uh, book in Philippians 3.8, nothing compares to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus, my Lord. Jesus is sufficient. Jesus is supreme. He's the goal of the Christian life. He's the reason why we gather. He is the point. He is the message. He is the purpose. Jesus is it. So my challenge to you today is let nothing and no one cause you to drift away from Jesus by telling you that there is more for your spirituality beyond Jesus. 2 Corinthians 11.3, uh, Paul said this, let no one draw you away from the simplicity that is in Christ. 
can I just say this? Let's walk away applying the KISS principle. Let's keep it simple. Stupid. It's all about Jesus. Can I tell you something? If you happen to be here for 20 years, guess what you're going to hear? Jesus. 40, Jesus. There's, I'm going to get into the things we add next week. But a lot of times, we add whatever's trending in the Christian world. Oh, you've got to have it. You've got to have it. And they become placebos. They become things that actually cause you to drift from Jesus. I love Smith Wigglesworth. They asked him, what, what do you read? He said, the Bible. He never changed. This was the only, he wouldn't even read the newspaper. He just read the Bible. That's it. Why? Let no one draw you away from the simplicity that is in Jesus. This is the essence of, of Colossians chapter 1. You stand with me. When all you have is Jesus, you have all that you need. So as we close, I'm going to pray, and I just want to go back into Christ be magnified. That is the essence of why we're here. Jesus, we thank you, God, for your word. God, in our hearts, anything that we have magnified above you or even next to you, we repent. God, if we've been drifting, trying to add things to our faith, we repent. God, if we have puffed ourselves up in the spiritual knowledge that we know, we repent. And God, we return this morning to the simplicity of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. amen. Let's worship him this morning. Your creation suddenly articulate with a thousand tongues to live for Christ. Then from north to south and east to west, we hear Christ be Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. We hope you were challenged, encouraged, and inspired as you listened to this teaching from God's Word. For more messages or information about our church, please go to www.redeemers.life.